Good morning. This is Bakes, Kevin Baker with Bakes Takes. It is uh, Tuesday morning, the 26th. Welcome, and I appreciate you tuning in. Brief recap, I go through uh, numerous podcasts, read all of this over the course of the week, and hopefully distill it down to half an hour for you. I do it for my sons, but anybody else that wants to join in, I uh, expand that. And I'm going to start off with uh, one of my big takes is own your mistakes. Better said, own my mistakes. I was wrong on Facebook, Mike. Mike's oh, my producer. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, and I'm not going to give you the, the mealy mouth excuses. Uh, I, it did look to me like it was the market overall. Uh, big volume on the down days. Feeble rally. Then they announced shops. And mm-hmm. I didn't see that coming. I thought advertising revenue was gonna, is going down. And I don't think shops is going to make up for it. But the one thing I've learned is uh, the market is always right. And I just want to be right with it. I'm wrong against it. And I hurt Mike. And it bothers me. And I'll make it up to you. I appreciate that. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. All right. On to bonds. I know we, we, this is kind of an equity centric. But uh, Josh Brown uh, from Ritholtz, he's on CNBC all the time like him a lot, and he put out a tweet a little while ago that talks about uh, bonds. And and it makes sense, but I like to see it graphically, that when your starting yield is a very good approximation of your your longer-term returns in bonds, and it kind of makes sense. Um, Bottom line is, for example, we're here at 70 basis points. If they go down to 50 basis points, the price of the bond isn't going to go up that much. It's just the, the, the way the math works with, with fixed income, with bonds. Those are synonyms. And uh, he kind of summed it up succinctly to me. Don't expect much from the bond portion of your portfolio. And I think that that uh, is just valid. It's shown here in the chart. And I think it, uh, it, it's good to know. Uh, a good friend of mine, Ann, asked, what's an ETF? I fall into jargon like some people do, no matter what the industry And here the acronym ETF is Exchange Traded Fund. And it's a portfolio of stocks, bonds, commodities, whatever the case may be, uh, wrapped into a fund. In the case of a mutual fund, it uh, it has inflows and outflows every day and it's priced every day at the market close at 4 o'clock with the underlying securities determining the overall price, the NAV, net asset value, of the fund. In the case of the ETF, it trades over the course of the day in many cases with a, with a pretty good liquidity. So from 9.30 to 4, you can trade the SPY, the the approximation of the S&P 500 in an ETF. And that's what we're going to talk about now. So I hope I clarified that, and Let me know if I didn't. Uh, I always want to go back to time frames. And the major media tend to look at days and weeks. And that's okay, but it really doesn't matter that much. So... After all this this big rally and, and people's enthusiasm for the rise, the S&P is down 8%. So an equity investor at the beginning of the year in the S&P took a lot of risk and is now down 8%. It's still better than down 33 but that's where we are year to date. I'm sounding like a broken record. The up volume is still light to me. If we see a big volume breakout and a close above 303, I'll tell you about that level in a minute, then... I got to change my tune. Right now, it's uh, after late, uh, Memorial Day weekend. There's been talks of vaccine. The market is is uh, is up. Uh, what I find though is that the first half hour to an hour is the emotional uh, half hour. 
to an hour. Some would call it the dumb money. It's all pent up. We've had uh, a lot of hot dogs and beers over the weekend. Now we come back. By 3 o'clock, people kind of settle in, and the institutions take over and say, do I really want to own XYZ biotech stock or, or XYZ work-from-home play uh, as we go into the, the next day with, with all this action that's been going on? So we'll see how it goes. I don't have uh, a verdict yet. Uh, David Keller, this is getting into the weeds a, a bit. I'll confess to that. But uh, he points out that over 80% of the stocks in the S&P are above their 50-day moving average. Now, a 50-day moving average, as the name implies, it's a smoothing mechanism. It's simply the last 50 days divided by 50 and, and, and placed on a chart. So it shows, it takes away some of the intraday or intraweek volatility. Only 33% are above the 200-day. And so he points out that it adds money, adds, sorry, adds credibility to the bear market rally thesis. It's inconclusive at this point, but uh, it, it points to what I've been talking about. My son asked me to explain support and resistance as if uh, you're walking the dog or working out and you don't see the charts that are on my YouTube channel. I recommend you go to the YouTube channel, but here's here's what I'm going to go, uh, how I'm going to tackle this. Uh, there's an old Wall Street adage that, that uh, bull markets take the stairs and, and bear markets take the escalator. Uh, if you want to be morbid, they jump out windows, depending how severe you want to be. So I want to use that analogy. For the last four years, we started at a roughly 218 four years ago, give or take. And we rose to 339 in February. So think about yourself going upstairs for four years. It takes time. It's methodical. You go from the the 218th floor to the 240th floor to the 260th floor, you get the idea. And then you get tired. And 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 uh, then something happens that, that says, I'm sick of climbing, and you take the elevator down. Well, if you live on, on the, this 218th floor, you take the elevator to 218. So if you look at this chart, this is exactly what it shows. Started out four years ago, went from 218, four years up, pretty much in, in, in a good stair-step fashion. We hit 339, then COVID hit the market, and in a month, we're down 33% to kiss that, that 218 level, and we're bouncing off of that support into resistance at 300, which is where a lot of people also uh, uh, bought stocks but the S&P 500 on the way up. So I hope I explained that. Bobby, tell me if I didn't. Again, four years up, one month down. It's kind of like a forest fire. Uh, it takes 100 years to grow a forest, and it takes a drunk with a match to burn it down in, in, in a weekend. Um, Macro Charts uh, put up a great tweet, and I, I'm always struck by these things. It, 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 it plays into sentiment. The number of terms that number of times that bear market rallies showed up in news items, it really spiked in uh, uh, 2010, 2008, and you don't see it now. It hasn't shown up yet. Bear market rally is not how this is being described. And so it could be a new bull market or it could be a bear market rally, but until you have bear market rally be the, the uh, prominent proclamation of what we're dealing with, then it's it's uh, it probably isn't the low. I guess that's my 
my main takeaway. Taylor Pearson talks about the, and puts in a great chart, the S&P is more con- concentrated in the five largest stocks than at any time in history, including the dot-com bubble. Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Facebook, those are the five that are, are the, the biggest now, and the concentration is huge. 22% of the S&P versus 18 or so at the prior peak. Makes sense because those are the COVID defensive stocks, the big balance sheets, uh, uh, not a lot of physical plant, uh, digital, etc. Interestingly, Microsoft is the only name that is still there after 20 years. And GE, which used to be a blue chip, is down into single digits. So I just find it a great historical perspective. Uh, Jackie Wong wrote in Wall Street Journal recently, Tencent levels up as China hunkers down. But the converse is also true. So uh, China went into lockdown, uh, a lot of video games being played on TV. Now that's over, and the stock's starting to roll over. The reason I bring that up is I've been talking about EUM, the ETF that shorts the MSCI emerging markets. Its its, uh, top three names are Alibaba, Tencent, and Taiwan Semiconductor. It's 40% China, roughly 10% Taiwan, 10% South Korea. So I'm, I'm, my antenna uh, are up to, to look for things that, that point to how that could play out. And I want to hear from you. Tell me what you're seeing. I don't read everything. Fire it at me if uh, you, you see things that either confirm the thesis or refute the thesis because I want to make intelligent decisions. Uh, the Wall Street Journal also talked about, uh, this is an article by Nierika Mandana, and I missed this. Uh, U.S. sent warships to, to support Malaysia in the South China Sea as China was, was becoming threatening. They sent three naval ships, and, and um, China claims nearly all of the South China Sea is their own and objects to oil and gas, oil and gas operations that don't involve uh, Beijing. Uh, even though they lost a tribunal claim, uh, Vietnam, Malaysia, Brunei, Taiwan, Philippines, and I, I just point it out as a uh, off-the-radar screen item that's chipping away at uh, any bullish Chinese story, in my opinion. The Economist uh, uh, <laughs> talked about filing uh, America uh, firing another financial salvo at Beijing. And this is on top of ones that already existed. Uh, Tariffs, that's been going on. Remember when we thought we were going to have a trade war resolution and that was going to send the market higher? That's gone. Blame for COVID-19, that is uh, uh, popular on both sides of the political aisle, but especially with Trump. And now the Trump administration wants to rid American stock exchanges of Chinese stocks. So there's a lot of things piling up to get rid of buying demand for for Chinese companies, uh, and they have they also have a, a, a trade war with uh, Australia. Um, the the uh, Australia called for an inquiry into China's role in COVID, what they did, what they didn't know, and uh, China came back and threatened them with, well, we're not going to send uh, uh, allow tourists to come uh, see you. They're not going to drink your wine. They're not going to eat your beef. And then they put 80% tariffs on barley. It's just another indication of the, the pressures that happen to China, that are piling onto China. Reshma Kapadia in Barron's uh, highlighted that the, the Hong Kong protests 
protesters have become re-emboldened, and China is confronting them and putting them down once again, and it's just another another source of conflict to watch. Randall Forsyth and Barron's uh, talk about the U.S. Commerce Department uh, threatening to curtail uh, Huawei's access to chips that use U.S. technology. So there's a number of things that are, I think, are becoming headwinds to to China. They've obviously threatened to retaliate against Qualcomm, Cisco, Apple, Boeing. Um, the Trump administration, again in an election year, uh, ordered the Federal Employee Retirement Fund not to invest in an index that has Chinese companies. Is it a big dollar amount in the grand scheme of things? No, but it's a, it's a, a heck of a, a political flag. Uh, Greg Vallier from uh, the chief strategist for AGF Investments, been in Washington forever, uh, points out a dynamic that both the Republicans and the Democrats d- don't like the Chinese. And it's almost going to be a, a an escalation war as to who can up the rhetoric against China more as we go forward. He brings up an ominous quote to me, an escalating trade war during what might be a depression, question mark, haven't we seen this movie before, and didn't we hate its ending? He's referring to Smoot Hawley back in the 30s, where we increased tariffs on uh, uh, foreign companies, foreign countries, by 20%, and then 25 countries raised tariffs on us and made the Great Depression even worse than, than, than it could have been. The main difference with that, which is why I don't want to go too far using the D word, is the Fed is is doing exactly the opposite of what they did in the 30s. They are, are, are flooding the market with liquidity. They're buying treasuries and mortgage banks, even junk bonds. And here's a little distinction. This is getting into the weeds a little bit. But the Fed used to go through, traditionally, the banks. They'd lower rates. They'd increase reserves. That would encourage the banks as a derivative, if you will, to, to uh, increase lending and, and boost economic activity. Now they're going right to the financial markets. They're buying $305 million in corporate bond ETFs, putting a bid on these underlying bonds that wouldn't be there without the Fed, allowing companies to finance and refinance their, uh, their high-yield debt. And uh, so far it's working, and uh, I hope it continues to work, but that's what's going on. Uh, Carlton English wrote in Barron's recently to that the hedge funds are fading, my term, I don't think that was hers, the work-from-home stocks, the, the slacks, the Zooms, the, the, the Netflix. And I think that that makes sense because, number one, this is going to be the quarter that's going to be the biggest where everybody has, has uh, uh, made those purchases. And next year, we're going to have very tough comps, comparables, as we anniversary those. So uh, I think that's something to watch for. He's a good example. Bill Alpert uh, with Barron's wrote about, uh, you know, maybe it's time to, to, to get out of Wayfair, the, uh, uh, you know, the Amazon for furniture, for lack of a, a better term. And think about what just happened. Uh, everybody set up a home office. Maybe they want a, com- a more comfortable chair than they had, and they want a picture that looks good on the, on the Zoom videos. They've done that. It is now over. You don't need two chairs and, and two uh, portraits. So now and Wayfair went from 22 to 197. So I would be really careful with, uh, with, with uh, Wayfair. Uh, Jack Otter in Barron's 
wrote an article, but also has a great TV show that he hosts on Fox on Fridays. And he, he talked to Ben Inker of GMO. Uh, Grantham is the G of GMO. I forget the other two fellows. But um, back in March 10th of 09, Jeremy Grantham wrote Reinvesting When Terrified and in essence uh, suggested getting back into the market at that point in time. The low was March 9th. It turned out to be a crazy good call. And now the same team is saying we're going to take our equity exposure down from 58 to 25. Pretty big move. Pretty big move. And if he didn't have the kind of, if they didn't have the kind of track record that they do, I wouldn't pay as much attention to it. Their point is that the optimistic resolution of of COVID nineteen is likely priced in, and any negative surprises probably aren't. My bias, and I'll, I try to be upfront about these things. I've got three small businesses that I know really, really well. Uh, one is dead forever, and two are severely wounded. So when I hear people talk about V recoveries, I just can't see it because of, of, of what I see around me. Uh, maybe for Apple and Amazon, but not for you know the average small business that's out there. Uh, ben Levison in Barron's uh, writes this week uh, with interviewing Citigroup strategist Robert Buckland. Uh, and we've talked about this tug of war before. Six trillion dollars uh, of liquidity and asset purchases coming from the central banks around the globe, ours most predominantly, versus earnings in the U.S. Sorry, overall earnings, global earnings being down fifty percent this year. So far, the the the, the central banks are, are winning to an extent, but then it points out to another thing that came up in in the in the same story. Uh, Sundial Capital Research's Jason Gopfert uh, wrote that this is the 30th time since 1928 that the S&P 500 has remained between the 50 and the 200-day moving averages. Getting a little wonky, but stick with me. Of the 29 previous times, the S&P broke lower through the 50-day, and then on uh, on 21 of those times, and just eight times did it launch through the 200-day to the upside, suggesting there's a 72% chance that the next move is down. Now, there's a 28% chance it's a new bull market and everything is off. So be it. But I just want to, I want you to know where you are, sort of like, uh, you know, uh, uh, an arrow on a, on a, on a mall uh, map. You're, you are here. The JCPenney's is down the road. Anyway, um, and then he goes on to say that even when you have a breakout through the tour today, the next six months, the, the market is down, consistently traded lower, with an average decline of 12.7%. And I said, huh, May, that's the fifth month. Six months is November. The election is the first Tuesday in November. And I think President Biden should get fitted for a tux, if, if that's the case. If the stock market's down... The stock market picks the president, not the other way around. And uh, we can argue about that, and I'd love to. Um, Barron's also, Al Root, uh, talked about breadth being lousy, the number of stocks that are, that are participating in this. And this is almost hard to believe. But the top 10 largest stock in the NASDAQ, again, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, uh, they're up $900 billion in market cap. The other 2,600 or so stocks have lost $300 billion. 
So it's the, the top 10 that have done all this heavy lifting. The problem is they're expensive. They trade at 29 times next year's earnings. The rest of the market is at a 16 times. And uh, it just, it, it's, it's, I just want you to know what you own and, and, and where we are in the grand scheme of things. Gregory Daco, uh, uh, this is a great chart of, of the lowest oil rig count since 2009. And that kind of is uh, counterintuitive from other things that I've seen where it takes so long to shut down a well, it's expensive, etc. With oil going to 20, they're just saying, to heck with it. We don't have the money. We're going to shut the wells down. And here we are at, at, uh, at uh, the lowest levels we've seen in, in a long time. I'm sure the top of this chart coincides with oil at 140. This is oil at 20. We've bounced to 34. I think oil is going to be, be very interesting going forward, but I'm not there, not there yet. Um, Randall Forsyth and Barron's this week talks about Robinhood starting uh, commission-free trading and then the big boys joining in, Schwab, E-Trade, Fidelity, etc. And uh, that it's, it's created a sort of, um, with sports betting being curtailed, many folks are, are turning to, to day trading stocks. Uh, the, TINA is a new acronym for me. There is no alternative. FOMO is fear of missing out. And Jim Bianco uh, points to Sentiment Trader and shows that small options traders are, are, are gathering steam like you read about. And that's, that's uh, you know, that usually happens near, near tops, not at, at bottoms. Dan Heddle points out that the average worker must now work 126 hours to buy a single share of the S&P 500. That was 20 in, uh, in, in 1980. So now I want to take a step back. I've, I've come up with a lot of things that are fairly negative. Uh, if you have an advisor that you like, trust, and respect, you have a plan that you feel really good about, you have an asset allocation that lets you sleep at night, I think that's great. I think that when you get into downdrafts, though, that becomes really tough to maintain. We all become human. We become fearful. And I'm going to go back to my September comments where... I think that owning a little more cash and a little more gold, uh, maybe five going to 10 in each category, something like that, uh, would, would make some sense. So I don't want to anger anybody. That's my, my, my overall stance. Uh, please subscribe, review, and share my Bakes Takes podcast on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred platform. Please also subscribe to my Bakes Takes YouTube channel. The audio is the same, but the charts that I reference are on the screen. Follow us on Twitter at BakesTakes underscore and other social media. Please use your voice memo app, tape your questions, and email to bakes at bakestakespodcast.com or write if you prefer. I'll keep it anonymous if you'd like. Thank you for listening. Mike Wilson is my producer. Have a great week. This is Bakes. And now I go into much needed levity. I had the YouTube San Bruno, California police visit me because I posted a video that was copyrighted. I apologize. I meant no offense. I made no money from it. Uh, I just want to be respectful of, of things that, and people that make me laugh in this crazy time. Uh, Eugene Merman's It Started as a Joke, I believe it's on Netflix. It might be on one of the other services, is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I recommend it highly. It is much needed levity, and I'll see you next week. Take care.